0: And now another edition of Traveling with Paul Lasley and Elizabeth Harriman. Every edition of Traveling with Paul Lasley and Elizabeth Harriman airs weekdays on the American Forces Network in countries around the world. Each show is also available as a podcast at ontravel.com and at iTunes. Just use the keyword on travel. Here's Paul and Elizabeth.
1: Today on Traveling the Inimitable Traveler, the inimitable editor of GoNomad.com. Max Hartshorn joins us once again. And Max travels the world and brings back these amazing stories from places that he visits. Sometimes the places he visits are unpronounceable. So, Max, welcome back.
2: Good to be back, Paul. And the place we're going to talk about today is A I S N E. It's pronounced N. And it's in northern France. It's right next to the Belgian border. And N is a wonderful region not filled with visitors at all. So if you're an American and you want to get some brownie points and you want to go somewhere a little special, think about northern France. Take a nice high-speed train from Paris right up to Saint-Quentin, and you'll be in N, the region of N. And N is famous for World War One. It's the place where World War I was fought along with other parts of France, but really a lot of the World War I took place in the fields and woods of N. And there's a lot of interesting things to see. And when on my visit, they had just completed, just about to open, a wonderful exhibit. And you know that uh, World War 1 was all about trench warfare. There was trenches, there was people shooting back and forth and there wasn't a lot of ground made up by either force. They were just basically fighting each other over the inside these trenches. And in the end, you can go to the a new place that just opened up called the Caverne de Dragon. And that's a dragon cave and that is a series of of caves, limestone caves where Germans and French and other troops hit out and tried to fight the war from one being on one end and one on the other. It was a crazy thing. We had Germans on one end and French and uh, allies on the other. So you can go down inside this limestone quarry and see the me- the remnants of World War One. you know, armaments and wow. little things. The troop, yeah, things that the troop left there. And it's all along a road called the Chemin de Dedame, Chemin de Dames, which is the road where all of these museums and memorials and even foxholes can be seen.
1: Well, I know we've done some things on Ypres and, and other towns in that area, uh, but in, I have, strangely enough, I have never heard of. And I think Go Nomad and your travels brings that to the world in a, in a very uh, vibrant way. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I think that um, I was really impressed with Anne, you know,
2: between the fact that there was hardly any tourists there and the fact that there's some of these memorials, it was very moving. One of the things we, and I'm sure that your audience uh, member service members would, would be interested in this, there are many cemeteries that you can visit along with um, memorial battles. We went to the Ain Marne Cemetery, which is filled with, with graves of many Americans who, who fa- fought and nobly and died. There's also the Bellow Wood which is a a place where the battle was fought. And it's so interesting, Paul, to walk through the woods and look on the side, and there you see the the actual trenches that were dug. And we went to this one part of um, Bella Wood, right near Bella Wood, and there was a completely obliterated section where they said a small village had been located since the medieval times, and it was so destroyed that they just rebuilt it two miles down the road.
1: That's amazing, and you know, in in all of Europe, visiting these towns that were devastated in World War One and Two, the the dedication of people who just rebuilt the town. i you see the pictures of there's nothing but bricks in the roadway. I mean, that's about it. Exactly. And today, yep. you could look at a photograph, and in some towns they've rebuilt them exactly, In others they've sort of stressed modern architecture or something. It's an amazing testament to the people. Yes, the, the village of Croyon
2: was absolutely just nothing left. And when they built it, it looks like a medieval village. It's just two miles away. Um, so many places you can go in this area. And you could go to a, a, a little place where you can look over. You can climb up this tower and look over all the countryside where the battles took place. There is um, also, you know, it's it's history of the World War I variety, but it's also wonderful history about the medieval times. Um, Among the most highlights of of N were the city of Léon. Léon, L-A-O-N, is a beautiful medieval walled city. And you really get a chance to see that. And and this is a place where um, Napoleon spent some time and Charlemagne did, too. And I I wasn't as good at history as I'd like to be. But a lot of people know Charlemagne as one of the great dictators. You know, he was a great ruler of France. But there was also a very important point at which um, a French king was baptized. And that's a big deal when you baptize a French king. And that's splitting the church. And that took place in Léon as well. But um, you can go to Léon and you can go underneath, the, just like the caves of the Dragon, in Léon you can go underneath the city and there were these fortifications and these trenches built beneath the city. And it's a fascinating thing. The walls are still very intact. And this small city actually has a small forest within the city limits. So you can not only see these these ancient uh, escape towers and stuff. You can see a, a
1: beautiful thermal of forest and vineyards within the city limits. Really neat. Well, that's one of the things I think that makes traveling in Europe so interesting, and especially in France, because they've done a great deal to preserve the natural uh, wilderness and whatever, whenever possible. It's, it's much a different... I understand that what it is is they they designated green spaces and then didn't allow any development whatsoever in them. And that's why there is so much uh, woodland and things still existing in parts of France.
2: Yeah, it's really true. You know, they build up the cities, and they build up the villages, but they let the countryside be the countryside, which is wonderful. And it really is refreshing when you consider that so much of the countries we're say we have such sprawl here And in France, you really don't have sprawl at all. But let's talk a little bit. So a few of the other places that I want to talk a little about was uh, yes. the city of Soissons which is right near um, Léon. Soissons was heavily bombarded during the wars, but it's basically intact. And one of the things that you see in Soissons, I couldn't believe this, the guy said, you should see the abbey. I said, okay, I'd like to see the abbey. And he took us a little ways out of town in Soissons, and there we looked, and we saw a tower, and we saw the way you'd normally look at a cathedral. You know, it's really high, but you could see right through it. And he said, it's actually a quarry. He had, the people had been taking granite marble out of oh. <laughs> this thing. So it was like a giant junkyard. Really funny. Um, like, a, like a Potemkin Cathedral, if you can imagine
1: that. Someone told me in Rome, for instance, that the Colosseum was declared a holy place by one of the popes back in the day. And that was what saved it. Otherwise, it would have been torn down, uh, dismantled, I guess is a more accurate term, for the building blocks because it's much easier to you reuse a building block than it is to make a new one, I guess. Uh, exactly, and, so, and
2: this granite is granted, hard to find. You have
1: to use it when you can use it. That's right, and so one of the reasons that the Colosseum persists today is that this pope thought it was the site of the death of martyrs, and of course, most martyrs weren't killed in the Colosseum. So, um, but it, that misinformation saved the building
2: exactly yeah I mean you just you just find this all over and so as I mentioned earlier you know that some of these things about World War one you can see some of the cemeteries we went to the Eisne Marn, U.S. Cemetery, and that is located in near the Bellow Wood, where there was a great battle. And you can hear the stories of some of the, the guides are wonderful there, the young women that will take you out to the cemetery, and they'll tell you stories about some of these heroes, some of these people like Eugene Whedon, you know, and some of the stories that they'll tell about, you know, people falling on grenades and other things, It's really exciting, and again, it makes World War One, you know, kind of come back to life. But um uh, the, the city of Leon is the walled city we talked a little bit about, and again, it's a, it's a wonderful cathedral in the middle. Almost all the villages we saw have a giant cathedral called Notre Dame right in the middle.
1: Always the in, always so, called Notre Dame. Almost
2: not always it. called Notre Dame, indeed. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. That's exactly. interesting. Yeah,
2: they always call it Notre Dame, and it's kind of a neat, um, a neat sort of a tradition where you do these amazing uh, in the middle of a, of a sort of a, a nondescript town, you'll see this dramatic, huge cathedral. Obviously, hundreds of years old, um, and it's neat. And you can actually see bullet holes in the cathedral in Soissons when um, it was, bu- uh, you know, during the war, there was some damage there.
1: Well, I understand that the, both sides used the cathedrals as sort of shooting points to calibrate their range of fire and things like that. But also, uh, there was just a lot of accidental fire that hit these incredibly historic buildings. And uh, a historian on one trip uh, that Elizabeth and I took to France said that the you have to view the cathedrals, the big ones, as tourist attractions. That's why they were built. They were built to attract pilgrims at this sort of time of Christian awakening in the Middle Ages. And so these towns would really spend their entire revenue and years of uh, labor building a cathedral because it would pay off in tourists. It would bring people there for sure. And they they were the only places that people could, you know, by
2: looking at those cathedral uh, glass windows, they were able to learn the stories of the Bible. And that was because people didn't read back then. So it was much easier to look at the pictures. In fact, one of the stories I was really impressed when I heard about this, last October in Soissons, this beautiful cathedral, which we mentioned had the bullet holes in it, had a completely they lost the entire giant 65 foot stained glass window. It got blown in during a, a big storm. So it's quite a thing to have this ancient window be blown in wow. by a, a tremendous storm. Yeah, it was quite a thing to see that. To, 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 they, it was all wooden and this is where they had had to replace it. Um but, you know, one of the things I also want to talk a little bit about was the places I stayed. Um, I had a real nice experience at a place. But this is one of those times, Paul, when you're a journalist and you're kind of happy that you're getting a unique experience. But you're all by yourself and you're in a, the most beautiful <laughs> hotel you've ever seen. It probably doesn't happen to you, but it happened to me too. Oh, it
1: happens. Believe me. So many times. I, the phrase is, I wish Elizabeth were here to see this.
2: <laughs> exactly. Well, I stayed at a place called the Chateau de Fer. That's F-E-R-E, in a beautiful village called Fair on Tardonoise. And right next to the this chateau was a five-star, very beautiful chateau. And, of course, everything was very fancy-nancy, of course, and, you know, the, the, the wine course and the amuse-bouche and everything. But next to this chateau was an ancient castle that had crumbled. And all it was, it was pretty much, the, uh, there was a giant, like a, bridge over a moat and this was attached this giant ancient castle was attached by land and it was right next to this beautiful chateau so it was a wonderful combination of seeing the ancient and the new and just dramatic beauty this is in in this city of tardinowas um, tardinowas in france within the same part of france but just a wonderful experience being able to you know dine there and and sort of be in the company of people who can stay in five-star hotels, which is usually not me.
1: (laughs) No, true. And I was once uh, in France in a small inn where there were only a few other guests and uh, a couple of them were actually uh, nuclear scientists from uh, the British nuclear program or something like that. And they were the essential, you know, British scientists with pipes and cardigan sweaters and stuff like that. And they had they told the best jokes I will have ever heard. Unfortunately I can't remember jokes, but they were they were fantastic. It's one of the joys of traveling in small towns that I that what you're saying is the same thing.
2: Yeah, I really love it. I, I love France because I, I've been there so many times. I'm so familiar with it. I'm so familiar with the food, with the people. And I love a place that's a combination of dramatic history dramatic food, you know, really presentation is just killer. And then you just drive out of the town and there's this beautiful, beautiful roadway maybe lined with trees. This part of France is a big agricultural center. They grow all kinds of cereal crops. Just, it goes on for miles and miles and again, you're so I'm always so surprised that France has been settled for so many centuries yet there's so much more open land there than almost any other place and same in England I'm always amazed in England too that they've been able to save that open land for farming and and have this beautiful panoramas wherever you go
1: Absolutely and you know you, you mentioned an interesting fact I think when you travel sort of off uh, the the main courses Elizabeth and I were visiting a friend of ours in Camden Maine And uh, it got to be dinner time. And she said, well, if you wouldn't mind, uh, she was uh, an older person, wouldn't you, you wouldn't mind going out. There's a great uh, place to buy lobster rolls. And she gave us the directions. We go down this narrow street and there's a guy in a trailer, literally an Airstream trailer. And it says lobster rolls. So uh, she said, you got to go here. So we go here. And we buy six lobster rolls and we bring them back. They were the best lobster rolls I've ever had in my life. Came out wait, wait, of the wait, it, was, it wasn't the place called Red's Eats, was it? Uh, it might have been. It, it was that kind of a place anyway. Red's <laughs> Eats is legendary, apparently. And I saw there's lines that go out the door
2: for this Red's oh. Eats up in Maine. But yeah, I mean, I just, Ains... Uh, N, I should say N, is an area that, you know, if you want to get a little bit of uh, bragging points with some of your friends, you want to go to a place that they haven't been, take a train, go to Paris, do your Paris thing, and then take a train up north to the city of Saint-Quentin, Léon, Chateau-Thierry, Soissons, these beautiful cities, small villages, and learn about World War One and learn about the, the medieval d- days. I mean, really, these, these are medieval cities which have just survived so many years, but I really think that... Um, it's important in the years ahead that travelers realize that there are some places that are just over-touristed. Barcelona, uh, Lisbon, you know, Paris, um, New York City, Las Vegas—these are places that everybody's gone so much that there's almost nothing else to say about it, nothing else to write about. So, how about in 2019, 2020, we broaden our horizons and get out to the places like N. And other parts of Italy, like Trento and Trentino, where I was earlier this year. There's so many great places which are out of the mainstream. Uh, The Algarve, you know, try to think of a little bit of a different way to do it. I couldn't believe the other day I went to a party and a couple of friends of mine were telling me that they were planning on going to a wedding. That sounds great. They're going to a wedding in France, in Bordeaux in August. And I said, Are you kidding me? There won't be anybody there. <laughs> there won't be well, there won't be anybody in the on the beach. Everybody will be in the beach. Nobody will be in the city. You won't be able to find a hotel. You can't go to Provence in August. It's just absolutely impossible. So think about off season. I mean, that's the worst time to be going to France is August. And the people that do that are nuts. Except- I think a little bit earlier or a little bit later.
1: You can go to Paris in August. It's it's actually quite nice. Elizabeth and I have been there. There are a lot of people still living in Paris. Sure, uh, sure. A lot of things are closed or the hours are curtailed or things like that. There's no question about it. But the places to don't go to the seaside, don't go to Provence, don't go to the places that every other Frenchman will be at <laughs> in exactly. July, July and August. Yeah. That's the way
2: I feel like. Yeah, you have to really think about it. And also, I think opening up your mind to seeing some different parts of these countries really will be a much more rich experience and give you much more to talk about that everybody hasn't already seen.
1: Well, that's a, a strength of Go Nomad. You've really taken the website in a, in a way to, I guess, entice people to to find new places to travel, and because there are wonderful experiences. You bring that out so well, in the sense that there are restaurants and there are hotels that no one has ever ever heard of. None of the big travel magazines have covered them, and yet they're wonderful places with gorgeous, welcoming people. There's no question about it.
2: Exactly. You got it. So let's, let's try to see some of those places. That haven't been seen and give some of those Barcelonas and Lisbons a little rest.
1: <laughs> well, I've also discovered that in Barcelona, I was in Barcelona last year, I guess it was, and yes, it's outrageously uh, difficult to to go anywhere there, especially around the great uh, sites and the Los Rambos area and things like that. But I decided to just see what I could find elsewhere, and I just got lost in Barcelona. In this, I just walked through neighborhoods. There were markets. There were things to see not not great museums or anything like that but just wonderful communities uh that barcelona offers that i don't think tourists ever see and yet regular people keep going and living their lives there they just don't go to Las Ramblas and things like that exactly but you're yeah. so right and and in paris it's possible you know have you heard about this uh it's a very picturesque street with colorfully painted houses and stuff like that, evidently it's become very popular with the Instagrammers. They've closed the place off or they're trying to restrict people's access because there are so many tourists there that the residents can't get in.
2: Oh yeah, I've seen this. You're right. There's like, there's a place where they have all these lavenders and they're putting up these signs like, don't go away. Stop taking pictures. We're trying to harvest the lavender. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't ever. I don't ever want to be one of those people.
1: No way. Uh, well, I always, I always remember. If we can digress here just uh, briefly, uh, Elizabeth and I have been in Holland several times during the tulip season. And when you, when you're there, if everything is right, it is absolutely gorgeous. You know, miles of, of fields and tulips and beautiful color and everything else. You come at the wrong time, which could be two days later. There's not a flower in sight because. The growers are only growing for the bulbs, not the flowers. <laughs> and oh. so they have machines that come through and whack off those those flowers and stack them in huge piles at the end of the flower fields, and which can be a very interesting photograph in and of itself, but certainly not what the average tourist has come to see. Uh, so count yourself lucky if you've been to Holland and actually seen a tur- uh, tulip blooming.
2: Oh, exactly. Well, I think that, you know, like I said, the, you know, one of the things we find with Go Nomad since we've been doing it for such a long time, we do find that a lot of people's articles are about places we've already covered on such a regular basis. So to try to combat that, we always say, look, think about places that maybe we haven't heard of. Think about a narrow focus. I had a woman that pitched me a story the other day about Amsterdam. I said, I don't want to start about Amsterdam. You know, Amsterdam <laughs> has actually stopped allowing people to have tourism. They don't want tourism in Amsterdam. But I, like- I said, hey, go out to the go out to the countryside and get me a story about like for instance I went to a wonderful place um in Amsterdam. I can't remember the name of it, but there was a place where the pilgrims came from and it's right near Amsterdam but it's not something that most people would even know about. Yeah. So I you know just always think of those places. Like I went to Rotterdam after I went to Amsterdam and it made a really good story and it was really interesting and it was really not an area that was as well covered. So I feel like, yeah, always try to find the narrow focus, try to find something that's a little bit outside of the the typical beaten path and you'll have much more to talk about,
1: much more to share. Well, that's so true and it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Rotterdam and Amsterdam. Elizabeth and I were in Amsterdam just by accident. Uh, We we landed the day, uh, it's called King's Day and King's Day in Holland Is amazing all the everybody dresses in yellow and uh because that's the royal color and um, and all of this and there were so many tourists in amsterdam that's what uh, i think prompted them to think about limiting tourism there were so many tourists there that you could not actually sail on the canals they were clogged with people and boats and things like that it was just wall-to-wall people so a friend of ours said well go to harlem and so There's a bus from Schiphol to Harlem. It goes on a private, you know, dedicated uh, bus path. There is no traffic. You get to Harlem. Harlem is like a miniature Amsterdam with no tourists. Oh, it sounds much better
2: than Amsterdam.
1: It was amazing. And so we did some stories about that. And we've been in in Rotterdam. You mentioned, you know, Rotterdam was destroyed in World War II by both sides that bombed the heck out of it. And the the only remaining part... It's actually the couple of blocks where the Pilgrims spent some time uh, on their way to America. But the, uh, it's just remarkable as a result, at Rotterdam has become this sort of museum of contemporary architecture and it's exciting and a vibrant city and it gives you a totally different travel experience than looking at, say, the Rijksmuseum or something like that. Which there's nothing wrong with the Reichs Museum. Just get online reservations and do the first opening in the morning.
2: <laughs> exactly, yeah. No, I, I'm all 100% with you on that. I love being able to have different things in a little bit. And that's why I think that blogs are good because people do – Find that if you go to a place like go nomad you put in, you know, we'll have we'll have articles about places that aren't as well known, and that's the key. Is that you know, after you've traveled for many years, you really need to expand your horizons. I would 100% echo what you're saying about Rotterdam. The architecture was my main thing. I was so blown away by that architecture. Made a wonderful story. I was fascinated just taking a city tour
1: and seeing these
2: crazy buildings.
1: Oh, totally. Well, as always, uh, we're fascinated with uh, an appearance by Max Harthorn, the editor of GoNomad.com. Max, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll look forward to your next report.
0: Okay, good to
1: be with you again, Paul. Happy travels.
0: Join Paul and Elizabeth at any time since each episode of Traveling is available as a podcast on iTunes, keyword on travel, and at ontravel.com. You can join the global community on Twitter and Facebook at OnTravelMedia, and you can email at travelingontravel.com. At Your suggestions for show topics and comments are always welcome. Join us next time on the American Forces Network and at ontravel.com. I'm Fred Sater.